Today's scripture reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Romans 12, starting in verse, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of, your, think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one, members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. There are uh, often scripture passages that it would be good for us to hear over and over and again and again. And uh, Keith did a great job of reading it. I had this planned before. so, But uh, I'm going to read that again. And I would like you to stand for the hearing of the word this time. It's, we don't need it on the screen. It's okay from the back. But I'm going to read this to you. And I'm going to ask that you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you hear these words. Because these words are beautiful and powerful and strong. They're for every one of us. They are compassionate and loving. And they issue a call to you in your life. But you have to hear them. As Richard Lalau, Richard and Sharon are away as well, and as Richard always says, when you see therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Uh, Before this passage, this fantastic book of Romans, but to state it very briefly, the discussion was, you were once far from God, you were just about self, but in Christ you have been brought near. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. This should come over you like waves as you hear it. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in their teaching, in generosity, or sorry, the one who teaches in their teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak and give us ears to hear, we would ask. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Our series that will run to... Next Sunday is the beginning of Lent, but it's slightly different this year because a good portion of us are going away to Nepal, so there'll be some guest speakers. And so we're not doing a proper Lenten series right through. So this Faith and Purpose series ends next week, which is the first Sunday in Lent. This Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday, and Wednesday coming up is Ash Wednesday. So we do encourage you to take up Lenten practices, uh, spiritual practices, whether it's giving something up, uh, whether it's just your own daily devotion. It's a good time as we prepare and move towards Good Friday and Easter. And when we've had the kind of winter we've had, even weather-wise, just seeing those little flowers come up through the snow is encouraging, but knowing that we're on our way to Easter is encouraging uh, both physically and spiritually. So faith and purpose, and we've mentioned this side concept of displacement, that the Christian faith calls us past our cultural displacements. One that we could think of this morning as we consider spiritual gifts, which I think in a way are more properly called gifts of the Spirit. There's a slight difference in meaning there. The displacement is that in this world, you know what it is like and feels like to feel at times, I know you all know this, no matter how good you are at things, and some of you are extremely good at many things or very good at certain small number of things. But wherever you are in that spectrum, you also know, know what it feels like to not feel good at anything. To feel like you're not good enough, like you don't really have anything to contribute. And that is a displacement that we deal with in this culture. Uh, it doesn't take you long. And for parents who have children... For those who are finishing an education and going on to the next part of life, and every stage of our lives, retirement, would I imagine come with this as well, right away we are faced with this 
potential displacement. That we don't have enough to offer or that we haven't done well enough compared to other people. That we maybe don't matter. And our world trades very well in this. As we consider the gifts of the Spirit, this is one of the first contrasts between Christian faith and the way of the world. Christian faith will say to everybody who is called upon the name of Jesus Christ, in fact, it will say it to everybody, but in terms of spiritual gifts, it'll say, Christian faith will say this, you matter. You have a call in your life. You have a purpose. In this church and the preaching that I tend towards, you have heard over and over again, I hope you've picked it up, and some would say, yes, we've picked it up too much. That the heart of our faith is not a moralism. Christianity, in essence, is not a moral religion, like other world religions are. We don't make our way and understand God primarily by morality. This is not to say that morality is a bad thing, but it's not a saving thing. Christianity is first and foremost about forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We looked last week at Paul, who writes this book, at his warning and language around this. You heard the gospel of freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Who has deceived you now and brought in all these rules and ceremonies by which they want to judge you? And I would imagine, as long as I'm preaching in this pulpit, that that emphasis will continue. But there is also the time to move, to get going on to positive things. It's okay to understand what we're not. But as we move now to what is the call in our lives, we begin last week by considering the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, these things will be present in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, there's no law. They don't, they don't match a moral grid, these things. They're higher than that. And we move then from last week, fruit of the Spirit, to this week, gifts of the Spirit, with this declaration that you matter. So when I ask you this morning if you're ready for this, I mean not only this morning, but I mean are you ready for this in the call in your life? To work in the kingdom of God that the world would know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? Will you take up the call? And we'll walk through it. The place to start for us in this text, Romans 12, 1 to 2, a very well-known text on gifts of the Spirit, is this initial call. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You've heard this before, right? And in terms of Christianity as moralism, this phrase was quickly co-opted to mean, therefore, don't do bad things. And then a list could follow. You're not presenting your body as a living sacrifice. It's not that that is entirely untrue in this. It's just that it's not what Paul is talking about. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Familiarity with this term can make us miss what the description is about. And this term while it doesn't make sense, if you have just kind of an engineering mind or something, how can a sacrifice be living? A sacrifice is dead. So, but it makes sense in terms of theology. This is a great and Christian description of 
responding to the call of Jesus Christ in our lives. A living sacrifice is an oxymoron, two things that don't go together. And that is expressly why Paul uses this language. Sacrifice. Give up your life. And in doing so, you come back to life. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Beautiful language. This is the life of the spirit, not the life of the flesh. He goes on to say, this is your spiritual worship. Translation here, depending on what uh, translation of scripture you're reading, will say spiritual worship, that's in the ESV, or it will say true worship. Uh, The original language there in translation is veritable. This is your act of veritable or true worship. You want to know how to worship God? Present your body as a living sacrifice. And then what is the evidence that you have done this? Working out this giving of your body, even physically. What's the evidence that you have given your body as a living sacrifice to the call of God in Jesus Christ? The evidence is presented here. It is that your mind will be renewed. And some of you in Christian faith have experienced what this means. As you are brought back to life, your mind is renewed so that you can see the world differently, so that you can think differently, so that you can feel differently. If your mind is renewed, well, I would argue that it isn't renewal if it happens in another way. If you become more fearful, more suspicious of other people, more willing to identify enemies, thinking more about what God is against than for, then I would present the argument that your mind is not really being renewed. Because the evidence of your mind being renewed is that you become more like Christ. And a lot of voices in our world today, even in the Christian church, proudly declare things. But the evidence is a lack of Christ-likeness. Your mind will be renewed. You'll be brought back to life. You will think and feel differently. And this will work in two directions. Firstly, no longer will you have a conformity to the world. Now, I know how this has been taught to you in very many cases. No longer will you have conformity to the world. You won't do those terrible, sinful things the world does. And then we bring out the list. Right? The problem with this is that it counters to what we just heard last week. Who's put this bunch of rules back on you? No longer conformity to the world does mean moral things. But it doesn't mean primarily that or firstly that. How does the world work? The world works according to fear, Suspicion, scarcity, identifying who's in and who's out, who's for us and who's against us. This is not the way the love of God works in Jesus Christ. It simply isn't. For God so loved the world. We are each of us and all of us created in God's image. So as our mind is renewed, and you should experience this and feel this in your Christian faith, Your love for other people deepens and grows. And you are consistently growing in that love. You see light more than darkness. 
doesn't mean that you're not aware of the darkness. But Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And if you have developed a Christian faith that is more mindful of darkness, I say to you, why are you not more interested in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior? Why are you so afraid? Why do you doubt his strength? interesting thing about this in my experience is that the people whose minds are being renewed that become people that I admire and look up to and that I can see, they are often people who have experienced tremendous pain, loss, sorrow, suffering, and walk through great darkness. But in presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice, they come to know Jesus Christ, the Lord, who has suffered on our behalf and entered into even the greatest of all darkness. And their very life becomes a light. You will not be conformed anymore to the way of the world. You must ask yourself that question. It's not for the pastor to tell you. I could do it, but you'd get my pet peeve things. And they'd still work, and you'd likely still need to change them. But you must ask yourself, how is it that you are conforming to the way of the world? What is it that you value? That's one direction. The other is towards conformity with Christ into Christ's likeness. You will become, Scripture says this, uh, my favorite, favorite theologian calls it correspondence, that you will correspond to the way of Christ and to the person of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the promise in this Scripture is that you will grow in having the mind of Christ and the Spirit of God. Now, if you have the mind of Christ and the Spirit of God, what do you think that makes you think of other people? This is the promise for you. And isn't it great that you might have the mind of Christ and the Spirit of God? And if you just were to look at this as a self-help exercise, which unfortunately a lot of us do in this world, we think, how could I feel better as a primary question? Wouldn't it be nice to feel more peace, to know more light, to feel more alive and to feel spiritual progress? Wouldn't it be nice to just feel so much better? It's a promise. But if it ends there, it becomes corrupted because the text continues, verses 3 to 8. This is not just about you. In fact, it's you fit into this bigger picture. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me. See how Paul's receiving that? By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Be sensible. God has apportioned a measure of faith to each one. Just as a physical body, there are many parts. So you together, made up of many parts, are the body of Christ. Your life, this larger body, is not just about you. This, in a way, even more than spiritual gifts. And part of the problem, we get sidetracked on spiritual gifts at times. I'm not saying they're not important. They're more important than we give consideration to. But sometimes we go quickly to spiritual gifts. The text is actually not primarily about spiritual gifts. It's about the body of Christ. And how we are to think of one another. Don't you understand that that person sitting near you or across from you or the person you just don't get or understand or the one who holds their faith differently than you, the one who has a different perspective, the one who things matter to them that don't matter to you, and don't you understand they're part of the body of Christ? That's what this text is about. That's the context in which spiritual gifts come up. 
And then he's going to list the ways of serving, which become uh, this context for talking about spiritual gifts. So that's what he's done, right? He has said, you are a body together. It works, this call in demonstrating the love of God in this world so that other people would see the love of Jesus Christ and respond, only works if you do this together. And so now let me give you an example of what it might mean to do that together. That's when we get to the gifts of the Spirit. But they're not the primary topic of the text. So seven ways are listed in verses 6 through 8. Four of these ways are about the community gathered for worship, and three of them are about caregiving in the community. But the list is not exhaustive. There are other lists of spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit in other parts of Scripture that are different and more expansive. And that should be an indication to you that in every case, in virtually every case, there's a larger topic. Consideration of the gifts of the Spirit matter, but they matter for a larger purpose. In this text, the Greek word for these spiritual gifts are charismata. And where do, we, where do we play with that word? Even people who've never really been to church would have used a phrase like, well, so-and-so is a very charismatic leader. Right? And you know when somebody is, you know, somebody can get up and just speak and they, just, they can just command a room or a stadium. And other people can get up and speak and, you know, five words in, it's like, oh, I feel like I've been here for an hour. Where does the term charismatic leader come from? From this Greek word. Charism, which means of the Spirit. A gift of the Spirit. And in this text, so what happens is, I think that at times we, we make a mistake thinking that charismatic gifts are kind of separated. Charismatic gifts mean like these powerful Holy Spirit gifts. Everything from speaking in a prayer language or speaking in tongues to praying for healing. To In this text, the word charismatic refers to all of these things. Including, are you ready? If you are a good caregiver, you have a charismatic gift. When that is being manifest in the Holy Spirit. We'll clear that up in a minute. In this text, teaching is a charismatic gift. Charism, manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you a proviso here that I want you to be very careful with. And I'm speaking to myself, and it's not for me necessarily to determine where the Holy Spirit is made manifest in my life. I often hear that from other people, or you can. And at times you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I strongly believe that. But the warning is this, and I speak it to myself as well. No matter what spiritual gift you've been told that you have, I want you in your spiritual life to change the language up a little bit. Because we, one of the disservices we've done in helping people discover their spiritual gift is we've inadvertently taught them that they own it, that it's theirs. So my spiritual gift is teaching. So you better darn well know every time I'm teaching, God's speaking. No. No. I am as amazed as you, maybe more so at times. If I get up here in the pulpit and say anything that has lasting value and power. And if that happens, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I can engage with that while I'm preaching. And other times I don't feel it at all. Sometimes I have done something to quench the Holy Spirit. I'm relying on my own strength. Other times when I think I'm relying on my own strength, God shows up and speaks. If you think you own your spiritual gift, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Terrible damage. And some of you have just walked through experiences like that in your life, recently or years ago, whatever it is, where somebody has a spiritual gift, they think that they own it, 
and then they use it for their own benefit or to manipulate people. This is not a gift of the Holy Spirit then. It's somebody working in their own strength. This is important to know. The four gifts that are given as the community gathers in worship were expressed there. First, prophecy and service, teaching and then encouraging. I don't want to teach on each of these this morning, but just make notes because one of the reasons I don't want to teach on them is that this text doesn't. This text just states them. The, The intent of the text is not to outline exactly what all of these are. It does offer a note with prophecy, and that is one that, like, can you imagine if you thought you had a gift of prophecy? Wouldn't you be a dangerous person then? I mean, if you had the wrong idea of prophecy, if you thought that meant telling the future, which it doesn't really mean in Scripture. In Scripture, prophecy means great spiritual insight that can be expressed. There are people here who have a prophetic gift, who can speak into the life of another with great insight or speak into this culture, this world. But it's the only one that's given kind of a qualification, and I'm glad it is. Gifts of prophecy according to the proportion of one's faith. In other words, don't overdo it with the prophecy. Don't let this stuff run amok. And in proportion to one's faith seems to mean in this text, not only to that person who may exercise that spiritual gift, but if you have a gift like prophecy, then be careful how much you use it because some people can't take it. Don't let it run amok in keeping with the gospel, a genuine working of the Holy Spirit. And then simply a list of the other gifts. Service. Service is a charismatic gift, a spiritual manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so those of you who serve, there's no lesser thing in this place. That's the whole point of the body. We had an event here yesterday where there were people here from before 11 a.m. until midnight. Tremendous service given in this place. Some of my closest friends have this fantastic gift. And when the Holy Spirit is manifest in their lives in this gift, it's a thing of beauty. Like me, at times, with different spiritual gifts, if they're doing it in their own strength, well, then they can become frustrating and annoying and upset. But service is a spiritual gift. Some of you, that's how a way in which the Holy Spirit is manifest in your life. Teaching is a spiritual gift on this list. The ability to speak, open scripture, open the word, relate it to culture, help our understanding. And you know when someone teaches and the Holy Spirit is present, it's like you heard something. Something bigger happened than the speaker or even the hearing. Life was given. The love of God was explained. This happens in service. This happens in teaching. This happens in the next of the four gifts mentioned. Encouraging. Another manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I have been a tremendous benefactor of people who have been encouraging. I can tell you 100% this is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. A charismatic gift. And there are people when they encourage you, when they speak to you, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what it does? It really does, doesn't it? It changes your life. It helps you to see the presence of God. It could be somebody you know well, somebody you don't. But those of you who are good encouragers, God's blessing upon you. You are essential in this body. 
Three caregiving gifts. Generosity. If, if this is a, a way in which the Holy Spirit is made manifest in your life, then what does the text say? Then give well. Contribute. Do you see how every one of these gifts is used, not for the good of the individual, but for the good of the body? And more than that, this can get stale if we don't get this last part. For the good of the body, yes, the good of the church. But it's only for the good of the church so that it can be for the good of the world. So if your gift, if, if the Holy Spirit is made manifest in your giving, then give generously. Don't hold on to things for yourself. Or caring for others. Caregiving is a charismatic gift. And acts of mercy performed with cheerfulness. This list in this text counters us exaggerating who we are. And in this world, that's often what's put on offer. That for me to feel good about myself or my family or my work or whatever it is, I have to exaggerate myself. I have to tell myself that things are good when they're not good or something like that. This list works against that in this text. The call is not to exaggerate who we are. These spiritual gifts are not given so that me or you can feel somehow better than anyone else. That's the text, remember? It just went through these things and then said, but don't think of yourself as better than anybody. You're part of the body. It's not an exaggeration of who we are. Instead, it's a call to be who we are. But who we are called to be is interdependent in this larger body of Christ with this larger purpose of witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's love for the whole world, for every single person to not be afraid, to walk in the spirit, to walk in the light, to work together. This is where oneness requires otherness. And this is where unity requires diversity. It is a beautiful text, this text. Paul describes it, and to get back to the sense of this is not a gift that you own, listen to how he speaks about himself. He doesn't lord it over them. He says in verse 3, by the grace given to me. See how that's such an important line for this? He's not a leader who's lording it over anybody else. He's always in this posture of receiving. And when you are working according to the gifts that are manifest in your life. And please understand, I'm, I'm saying, you've heard it. You don't own these things. So you can't kind of claim the spiritual gift of teaching and every time you teach, that's, right? Or even encouraging. Or service. You know when you're serving, most of the time you know when you're serving in the Spirit or not. But the posture is always receiving. So that if the Holy Spirit is present in anything I'm doing or saying or teaching... I have a posture of receiving at the same time. I am so grateful to be able to work this way. In service, the same thing. And you know the difference. It doesn't mean that there are times where the last thing that you feel like doing is serving. Sometimes I don't feel like speaking. Right? Tired, whatever. It doesn't mean that you always feel, you know, joyful about the task at hand. But you know the difference when you, in the ways in which you've been gifted, take up this call and this service in a posture of reception. Well, then there's power. 
Paul is going to say in this, I am receiving as much as any one of the rest of you. This is us together. And you're doing your part, and I'm doing mine by the grace given to me. The text overwhelms us with its beauty. Have I said anything ever to help anyone? Have I opened the scripture in such a way that there's been any enlightenment? If any of that has happened, then it's all by God's grace. It's all done as I have received. This is... uh, when we think about the displacement that can happen in our lives and in this culture, the bigger word for all of this is meaning. Uh, we run an event, an occasional event here. We had a really busy week this week. It was great. A wonderful tasting room theology on Tuesday night. There was an elders meeting on Monday. There was a meeting in here on Wednesday night, uh, partnership with um, North Shore Stress and Anxiety Clinic on the topic of depression and anxiety in older adults. You don't say elderly anymore. You say older adults. That's all. Was Everything was great. The thing last night, there were youth events. It was a busy week. One of the things, because the, the uh, North Shore Stress and Anxiety Clinic meetings are not church meetings proper, we make sure we make a point at the beginning and end of each one to say it's the community. And 75, 80% of the people who were here on Wednesday night came from a larger community. They do other talks around North Shore Stress and Anxiety Clinic, but the ones that are best attended are here in this room. And most of the people are coming from the community, having received notice at their doctor's office or somewhere else. And it gives us the opportunity. It's not to proselytize. It's not to say, you know, would you like to accept Jesus tonight? Uh, but But we do have the opportunity to say this. Here's why this matters to us as a Christian church. Because this is what we think in our faith, and this is what it means to work for the better of the community. And we believe this is a reflection of God's love. One of the things that's interesting to me in listening to these talks, and they're done by professionals and they're always good, but I'm sometimes ask, asking the question, what's the larger meaning? You know, when you're talking about things like depression and anxiety and mental health stuff, meaning is a big question often. But it's not one that our world is great at asking. I thought about this the other night, and then I was reminded in a book that both Ken and I have just read about a study The study took place, and it uses the word elderly, um, and nursing home. So it must be kind of an older study at least. But it took place in the United States, and basically they took, and they somehow controlled the group in terms of health and age and whatever, and they took half the people, they gave all all of the um, people in the study a plant in their room, a living plant. And in half the cases, they said, You are to take care of the plant. You can decide where to put it. You can decide what kind of pot to put it in. And you're to care for the plant. In the other half of the cases, they said, we'll take care of the plant for you. The nursing staff and the care center will take care of it. Just a plant. Do you know at the end of the study, they were astounded by the results. Because the people who had to care for the plant were healthier. They reported being happier. They engaged more with other people in the community. And over a long period of time, and this, they lived longer. What? Why? Meaning. Something to care for. Listen again. 
You have been given gifts of the Spirit so that the world would know the love of God. And you're thinking about yourself. And won't somebody take care of you? Won't you get what you want? You want to be alive? I've got something for you that's 10,000 times 10,000 better than taking care of a single plant. Though it might include that. You have been given the task of showing this world the love of God in Jesus Christ for all people. And you have been equipped for that task, but you can't do it alone. Why do you think church unity matters? For this reason. A greater call. The Holy Spirit made manifest in your life and in the lives of others. Don't forget that. So that the world would know the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is our vocation. To witness to the gospel of Jesus. And this list ends with this upbeat example. It lists acts of mercy as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful one? I could go through a list this morning of just acts of mercy I've witnessed today. Just in this place, in the foyer. Here it says, if if this is a gift for you, then perform with cheerfulness. Because you're part of something bigger. The merciful person is aware of their own need for mercy. And as, as that mercy has been given to them, they cheerfully give it to others. Would that we would share this message with the world. And if you, by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit now, have not responded in faith to Jesus Christ, we like always to give you that opportunity to say, I've lived my life according to self, Sometimes in great fear. Sometimes in self-judgment. Other times excusing myself. But Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. Come Holy Spirit and show me what this faith means. And grow me in this walk. And then each of us together will do this. Because most people here have responded to Jesus Christ. We will be sent from this place knowing that we have the greatest of all tasks. Nothing's better. Nothing's better than demonstrating the love of God in Christ Jesus in all the world. You could tell me that you have a better thing, you know, and I might think it's interesting or cool, but nothing that you ever do will compare to this. And we will do this together by God's grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and for your beautiful word and revelation to us. It's overwhelming to us that we would be promised that we could have the mind of Christ. Just for me, even hearing that in Scripture leads me to repentance. But that we could be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we walk in the Spirit. Forgive us for our judgment of other people in the body, how we think of some gifts at times as more important than others or more showy, certainly. We are in this all together. 
We need each other. And together we have been given this marvelous task. And we want to say this morning that we're grateful. So build up your body, we would ask, at Sutherland Church and in other places, that the world would know your love. And as we seek to work out this call, allow us to always be aware that we are receiving ourselves. Always recipients of your great love. So we say, Heavenly Father, do what you promised. Build your church. Bring people to our midst through our service and witness that don't at this time know of your love in Jesus Christ, though you have blessed them with it. And help us by your grace in your service to know that we matter in this world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.